0: Okay, and um, John chapter 1, we started here last week. We're going to start here again. John one one says the Word was God. And then in John 1.14, it says the Word became flesh. And, and really, this is a picture of Christ. This is what we believe that in history, God became a man. He became flesh. So, if that's the case... And why in the world are we looking at today Luke chapter four, the passage that Jemima just read Luke four through sixteen and eighteen uh, sixteen through thirty but excuse me is it's not really a Christmas story, is it but kind of follow me um in 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 John chapter one we have the Word was God, and in John 1, 14, the word became flesh. But in John chapter 1, verse 11, in this whole description of Jesus, we read this phrase, He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. And I think in Luke chapter 4, we have to some degree the, the rejection of Jesus, kind of the beginning of the rejection of Jesus. And it starts in his hometown, The story begins quite heartwarming, if you've noticed. Jesus comes home. The people, uh, maybe specifically the synagogue ruler, uh, invites Jesus to, to read from the scriptures. So he hands him a scroll, and the scroll of Isaiah, and says, would you read from here? And the, the practice was that you would read, then you would sit down, and you would then speak on what you read so there was an anticipation. And when he sat down and when he, after he had finished reading, we're told, the eyes of all were fixed on him, and all spoke well of him, the passage says, and they marveled at the gracious words coming from his mouth. So it was like, this is Joseph's son. He's one of us. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Probably sometime before he was two, he, he and his family flee to Egypt. If you remember, Herod came in and was going to destroy uh, every child two and under. And so God protects them by an angel. They're sent off and they, they're in Egypt. We don't know how long. But when Herod dies, the family gets wind of that and they move to Nazareth. And that's where Jesus is raised. And now, after Jesus' ministry had begun for some time, he returns home. And you have this kind of heartwarming story. But that's where it kind of stops. Kind of like, whoa, what goes on? Things go bad, you could say. They want to throw him off a cliff. Uh, Not a really good ending. What has Jesus been doing up until this point? Uh, the Gospel of Luke actually puts this story right after um, this event, right after um, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And just before that would have been his baptism and his anointing of the Spirit. Now, what one of the things that's important when you're looking at the Gospels, the Gospels aren't always uh, too... They don't see the chronology that imp- as that important often, and so sometimes you'll get the story of, of, of Jesus kind of put on the front end, and Luke will do that for a reason, but Matthew seems to put the story further down the road, as does Mark. And so up until this point, Jesus has already been healing the sick, he's been casting out demons, he's been uh, he's healed a withered hand, he's he's a uh, He's given uh, words and and hearing to the mute man. He's uh, healed the blind. He's resurrected a girl. He's healed the bleeding of a a woman. He's healed the paralytic. He's calmed the storms. He's uh, healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's healed the paralyzed servant of the centurion. He's healed the leper. He has done a great deal, a great many works. And even in Luke chapter 4, It seems to allude to this because Jesus speaks of them wanting to do the works that he did in Capernaum. So they're anticipating Jesus is going to do something. He's come to them with a reputation. And on the surface, uh, Jesus' works display that he's been anointed, and and he is setting the blind uh, free and the oppressed free. That's what he's doing as he's, getting, he's, he's, he's heading from place to place to place. He's healing the blind. Lepers are freed from their, their leprosy. They no longer have to live outside the camp. The paralyzed are, are no longer paralyzed. The dead are raised. And there's a sense as you, as you listen to what Jesus says, as he reads uh, from um, Isaiah, it's like, whoa, Jesus is doing these things. Notice in Luke chapter 4, verse um, 16, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Oh, sorry, verse 18, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so it seems like the Lord, Jesus, has come for the poor, for the prisoners. For the blind, for the oppressed. Now, what if, what if, um, what if Jeff was actually not doing the fifth question of the catechism, and what if instead of the fifth question of the catechism, he read this passage to our kids? I could just see one of our kids going, "Well, did he come for me? I'm not in prison." I'm not blind. I'm not poor. Did he come for me? And I could see Jeff on the spot having to go, uh, and then he probably would have figured it out and would have handled it. But what would you say to that child? What would you say to that child? The Word became flesh. This morning I want you to see three things. First, I want you to see that Jesus is quoting from the prophet Isaiah. So we're told he's given the scroll, he would have unrolled it, and he would have read from a portion of it, and he reads actually from Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, and he reads from Isaiah 58, verse 6. Now this is important. Isaiah would have been written about... Before 700 B.C., maybe some of it about 700 B.C., some of it before. The, the prophet Isaiah, um, in fact, many scholars wrestle with because there's, they say there's actually two books because they're so different, but Isaiah 1 to 39 is really a book about judgment. It is hard. Now, there's a couple of slivers of hope in there. We read from Isaiah chapter 9, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. we read from Isaiah chapter 7 where it talks about Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, But most of those first 39 chapters are about judgment. Particularly upon the nation of Israel. And he's speaking about the judgment to come. Uh, Isaiah would have seen the judgment on the 10 northern tribes in 722 B.C. When the Assyrians came and, and literally, in a horrific way, took them away. Most of them never to come back. But he also will speak of a future judgment upon the southern tribes where the Babylonians will come in 586. He actually warns Hezekiah this is going to happen. Isaiah would not have lived to see that, but he speaks of it. The judgment was because God had made a a covenant with his people back in the book of Deuteronomy. And if they obeyed the Lord, he would bless them. But if they disobeyed, there would be curses, and eventually the, the 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 judgment would come to a place where they would be removed from the land. And God in his patience, the, 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 the people of Israel never obeyed the Lord. Uh, sometimes somewhat they obeyed, but they never completely obeyed what he had said. And God in his grace patiently, patiently waited, but finally judgment would come. Isaiah speaking of that judgment. The second part of the book of Isaiah is chapters 40 to 66. And it's so vastly different, like I said. A lot of scholars think that there's two different authors and two different writers. But they're actually one, and they actually belong together. The second part of the book is a book of hope. It speaks a great deal about a Messiah coming, a Deliverer. It speaks about restoration. It's an incredibly beautiful picture a uh, portion of Scripture that is, is again, difficult to understand, much like Revelation. It's out of this second section that Jesus reads. And he reads from Isaiah 61. And he reads things such as, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Most of them would have read that and go, this is Isaiah speaking. Isaiah speaking about God as anointed me to proclaim a a good news message about the future. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The the, the people of Israel would would have grasped that language of poor and they would have said, that's us. For example, Isaiah ends with these words. Isaiah 66. Verses one and two, the very last chapter of, of, of the book of Isaiah ends Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. I love that picture. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Trying to give us a picture of God's immensity and his, his bigness and his power and what is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. That's what Jeff just shared with our children. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The language in Isaiah 61 of Poorness or poverty is the poverty of spirit. And and for those individuals, there would be good news. That's important. The language of captives would have been the language that would have been used throughout the Old Testament, but would have been understood as the language of the exiles. The, The people of Israel had been captive first taken by the Assyrians, later they were taken by the Babylonians. And even when they returned to the land and um, some 70 years later, they were still captives. The Medes and Persians were first ruling over them, and then the Greeks were ruling over them. They had a pocket where there was some freedom, but that was very short-lived, and then the Romans were ruling over them. And at the time of Jesus, the Romans were the rulers. They were a people in their land, but they were slaves. They were captives. The language of blind is interesting because in the Hebrew uh, portion of Isaiah 61, you don't have that word. If you actually go to your Old Testament and read it, you don't have this picture of blind. You actually have the phrase, uh, he is opening of the, um, the prison to those who are bound. But in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible which often Jesus and Paul used, not always but often they did, it has this it has this phrase that we find in in, um, in Luke chapter four. Let me read it just so we're on the same page and recovering of sight to the blind. And we're puzzled by that. We're, we're not sure why the Greek translation was slightly different than the Hebrew. Um, um, and so we're not—we're really not sure, but it's, Jesus actually reads from the Hebrew, the Greek translation, in the synagogue in Nazareth. And who would the blind be? John chapter nine, Jesus says these words. John chapter nine, verse thirty-nine. Jesus says, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who may see, who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to them, Are we also blind? And Jesus said, If you were blind you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus is not simply speaking there of a of, of a physical blindness, he's speaking of a, a spiritual blindness. And so when Jesus stands up and, and, he, and he reads these words, and then he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled, he's actually saying that everything that Isaiah prophesied of hope and restoration and the coming deliverer I'm he. <laughs> I'm the one. Today it's begun, it's happening. That was significant. And we're told that that the people, they marveled. They were looking at him. They were were amazed at his gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they were puzzled, isn't this Joseph's son? This guy is is flesh. He didn't have a halo over him. He he grew up with us. This is Joseph's son. How can he be saying he's the Messiah? The last part of that to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor is an incredible little passage. It reminds us of the book of Leviticus, where the the Israelites were to celebrate every fifty years the year of jubilee, where they were to set the prisoners free and, to, and set the slaves free. It was it was a it was uh it was always to be a picture of that coming age when. There would be no more tears. There would be rejoicing forever. There there would be no more pain. It, it, It was a picture of the coming when the Messiah would reign. So I want you to see that Jesus quotes from Isaiah, and Isaiah was speaking of a time of restoration and hope and delivering, and he was speaking to the Jewish nation. And I want you to see that the people of Nazareth, they were awaiting this. Now, Nazareth was a little podunk town in northern Palestine. The, 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 the people in Jerusalem didn't look fondly upon that area. Uh, we see that elsewhere in the Gospels. Sounds like you've got an accent from Galilee. They said of Peter and others... But this little podunk town, this little place where nobody would come from, was like all of the rest of Palestine, all the rest of the Jewish people. They were awaiting the day that the, the Romans would no longer have them enslaved. They were waiting for a physical deliverance. They were thinking, you know what? We, we are the righteous ones. We're the people of God. And, and those evil Romans have, uh, have enslaved us and we're waiting for our Deliverer to come and to save us and to rescue us. They were longing for that. And as they would have read... Luke chapter 61 we we know from from extra biblical uh, uh literature the Qumran uh society the people they would they would actually read this passage and it was god was going to come and deliver them Jesus quoted read from the book of Isaiah Jesus I want you to see that the people of Nazareth were still awaiting this, but then I want you to see that Christ now says the Gentiles are going to hear this and receive it. This is what troubles the Jews. This is what troubles the people he grew up with. This is what troubles the ones that were one were marveling at him, and, and then suddenly now they turn on him, and, and the turning is quite significant. From, from going, wow, this guy, he's just got gracious words to the place where they bring him out to the brow of the hill and they were going to throw him over the cliff. Sounds like a happy party. And verse 30 is puzzling, but passing through their midst, he went away. It doesn't say what happened other than it wasn't time for him to die. And the fact he was not only man, he was also God, allowed him, not now folks, and he passes through and he walks away from this event. But listen to what Christ says to them. In verse 23, after say they say, Isn't this Joseph's son? Verse 23, he said to them, Doubtless you quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. He goes on, What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. This, Does Jesus, who is a human, God become flesh, actually begins to understand and read their minds and actually begins to speak to them what they are thinking? And he says, well, You guys want me to do what I did in Capernaum. You want me to do that here? The book of Matthew says he, he didn't because they were people without faith. Verse 24. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And he actually talks about Elijah and Elisha, two great prophets that were sent to the northern tribes prior to their fall in 722 B.C. And they were they were called to, to speak to the king and speak to the Israelites to repent, to turn from their wicked ways and to return to the Lord. Otherwise, there would be judgment. When they didn't do that, God sent famine. The famine was actually a gift that was sent to them so that they would, they would wake up and they would turn to the Lord. And in that context of that famine, we're told, Elijah, in verse uh, 24 or 25, he provides for a widow, even though there were many widows in, in, in uh, Israel at the time during the great famine, He provides for a a, a widow that was from outside Israel, a Gentile. Elijah's disciple, you could say, Elisha, comes on the scene. And there was many lepers in, in Israel at the time. But who does Elijah cleanse? A Gentile, someone from outside the kingdom, the nation of Israel. And Jesus' point here is that He's the Messiah, the Deliverer, and He has come not just for the Jews, but for you and me. And they don't really like that. And not only did He come just for the Jews, not just for, just for you and me, but there's... There's an element of blindness and captivity and and, and, um, poverty that he speaks to his hometown and says, this is you. You're poor. You're blind. You're captive. Not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. He's, 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 he's in essence acting like a prophet judging who they are. No, no, no who are the poor? I read to you Isaiah 66 one and 2. who are the captive? Remember in Luke chapter 1, kind of the beginning of the Christmas story, John the Baptist is born, his father, Suddenly his mouth is open because he, is, his, he becomes mute when he dis, doesn't believe the angel that he was going to have a child. And so he, he he's, not, he's not able to speak until he finally blurts out his name's going to be John. After so after some nine months of being um, unable to talk, he begins to speak, and then he breaks out in praise. And it's in that context, I can just see Zechariah holding his son and he says in, um, in verse 74, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, we might serve him without fear. He goes on in verse 77, oh, 76. And you, child, he's looking at his son John. He says, and you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Can you just imagine this little infant, Branley, Brandly new, that's not right way to say it. But newborn, he's holding his newborn. He's overjoyed. He's he's incredibly old. He shouldn't have a child, but God gifts them with a the child. They've been praying for a child. He's he's thrilled to death. But he looks at this child and says, "You have come to prepare the way for the Lord, the Messiah," and he's overwhelmed by that. And then in 77 verse 77 <coughs> to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. I can't I I I can't imagine what that picture was like. Zechariah holding this child knowing what this child came for. Why this child came, but he, but he, but he pauses and goes, "This child's going to bring deliverance, but that deliverance wasn't a deliverance from the hand of the Romans, that deliverance was a deliverance from our sins and from everything that sin means and and therefore the coming of death and and Zechariah gets that. And just a few chapters later, and as you walk through the book of Luke and walk through the Gospels, you begin to realize that Jesus, He is setting the captives free. But that's each one of us who receive Him, the Gospel of John says. Who are the blind? I marvel at the book of Mark. It's in the book of Mark that jesus physically heals a blind man he touches them and you might recall the story as he touches the blind man um the blind man he says can you see and the blind man says well i see trees and they're like they're they're walking or men like it's it's like it's almost like jesus didn't get it right and so jesus touches him again and he can see After that picture, you have a picture of the disciples. And you have Peter, the disciple of Jesus, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew tells us the reason he knows that is because the Father has shown him and revealed that to him. The Father touched him so that Peter can see. But then what happens after Peter does that? Even in the book of Mark. Then Peter denies him not denies him peter peter goes um uh, hold it jesus let me correct you on this thing you're not supposed to go and die let me let me help you out let me correct you and and i'm getting things butchered here but in matthew jesus says to him um get thee behind me satan and so peter sees but he doesn't see but then we have another miracle after that where Jesus touches a blind man and he sees completely. And well, and I think in his first picture where he's touching the blind man, he's kind of showing this is what I've done. I've touched the disciples and they see partially, but I need to touch them again so that they see fully. When Jesus in Luke chapter 4 is saying that he's he's bringing recovering of sight to the blind He's touching those. He's touching us so that we might see who Jesus is and and what Jesus has done, that we see our need for him, that we're overwhelmed by what he's done for us. That's remarkable. Why did God become a man? Why? Luke sets it up for us right at the beginning to proclaim good news to us who are poor in spirit who are to recognize our poverty he he comes and he proclaims liberty to us who are imprisoned and shackled by our sins and he comes to recover the sight to the blind, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that year of jubilee, when there will be no more pain and there will be no more suffering, there will be no more tears. He's talking about and proclaiming that good news of that wonderful time of the end. That's why He came. That's why He came. Hebrews chapter 2, let me just read one verse, and that's what, what I'll close with this christmas season uh, i challenge you yes look at jesus as a baby in a manger but recognize who he is and why he came in acts chapter 2 verse 14 we read these words since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise took partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Let me read that again. He Himself likewise partook of the same things that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. He took on flesh. He took on blood. He became a human so that he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That's the devil. And that he might deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's us. We are the captives. The people in Nazareth, they too were captives. They too were poor. They too were blind. But they did not receive him. John chapter one verse eleven actually closes with these words He came to his own and his own people did not receive Him, but who all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. And this morning, this Jesus, this God become flesh, he, He calls to us and says, Receive me. Welcome me. Recognize your poverty of spirit recognize your captivity because of your sins recognize that you're blind but in receiving me the chains are gone the blindness is gone the poverty becomes riches forevermore let me pray lord i love you the more i the more i grow my understanding of who you are and what you've come to do Causes me to, to love you even more. Thank you. Lord, forgive me for, for my self righteousness, thinking that somehow I'm, I've got what it takes to please you. Would you graciously open my eyes with greater and greater clarity that apart from you, I can do nothing, apart from you, I'm nothing. Lord, would You touch us again and again and again to behold Your glory and to recognize who You are, to marvel at, at You. and Lord, help us to recognize with greater and greater clarity how You've taken our chains off and You've freed us not only from death, but Lord, even from the power of sin, as Romans tells us. We're no longer bound by even sin. Lord, help us to recognize with greater clarity the good news of what lays ahead for those who are called your own. And Lord, I pray that you would even teach us as we gather around the table to behold the marvelous gift you've given us in sending Jesus to die on our behalf. I love you, Lord. But the truth is you love me and love us far more than we could ever love you, and I thank you for that. Would this good news continue to shape us as we walk through the week? In your name we pray, amen.